This episode of the Real Rescue Podcast is brought to you by Breeze Eastern, the world's only dedicated helicopter hoist and winch provider. SR3 Rescue Concepts, because you don't know what you don't know. And Life Saving Systems Corporation, we do our work so you can do yours. Tough gear for tough jobs. Breeze Eastern. They dedicate themselves to our helicopter rescue world. Since the very first helicopter rescue in November of 1945, Breeze Eastern has designed and manufactured superior rescue hoist solutions. While much of the technology and the unique mission requirements have changed over the past 75 years, their commitment to the rescuers, the operators, and those being rescued has not. Contact them today by visiting them at breeze-eastern.com. SR3 Rescue Concepts is a training company that can help with your helicopter training, a standardization and safety check, or maybe just an audit or an FAA refresher. They are here to bring your agency up to date with the most current techniques, rules, regulations, and equipment. The training staff is awesome. With the certified flight instructor pilots, experienced crew members, which I am happy to say that I am one of them, they offer training in rescue, medical, tactical, firefighting, ground operations, and night vision goggle use. SR3 has also partnered with Petzl to assist with personal protective equipment and the highly specific Lazard. SR3 also goes beyond the helicopter world as they provide high angle rescue training and tactical medicine training. Contact them today at sr3rescueconcepts.com or over on Instagram at sr3 underscore rescue. And Life Saving Systems Corporation. They manufacture the world's toughest helicopter rescue gear. From my favorite harness as a rescueman, the Triton harness, to the rescue baskets, the litters, and of course, the most popular hook in all helicopters, the D-Lock. The team at LSE will cut, bend, sew, weld, and machine these products into existence every day. We do our work so you can do yours. LSC, tough gear for tough jobs. Check them out today at lifesavingsystems.com and follow them on Instagram at rescuegear. That's at R-E-S-Q-G-E-A-R. I am beyond stoked to have our next guest join us here on the podcast. United States Coast Guard rescue swimmer number 587. She is the sixth female rescue swimmer that the U.S. Coast Guard has had. Third AST specifically. And the second ever female in the rescue swimmer rate to make E7 chief petty officer. The stories that she has coming to us are amazing. Her drive and dedication are unreal. I love it. So please welcome my friend, Miss Jody Williams. My name is Jason Quinn. I am United States Coast Guard rescue swimmer number 500. These are my rescues and rescues from those of us that put our lives on the line every day so others may live. This is The Real Rescue Podcast.
Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Real Rescue Podcast. Today is an amazing day. Yes, I have with me United States Coast Guard rescue swimmer number 587. She is a straight up badass, Miss Jody Williams. What's up, Jody? Hey, thank you for having me. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks for coming on. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So we uh, we were just talking a little bit offline, but um, you were just you were just smoking some students not too long ago, weren't you? Oh well, that's the best part of my job is smoking. <laughs> <laughs> I so, think everybody wants to come to the schoolhouse for that reason and that reason alone. <laughs> just, just to see it. <laughs> uh, part of it, yeah. You see it from a whole different perspective. It's oh, a lot totally of fun. Oh, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Love it. Love it. Just about all the things that you thought were such a big deal when you were in school and just know that they're not. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh, oh, if you only knew. Yeah, you don't yeah. even know. <laughs> yeah, oh, they give so us funny. a good laugh every day. <laughs> I love it. Oh, gosh, I love it. Well, Jody, uh, for everybody that's listening out there, please, if you would, introduce yourself Um, give a little background history about you and then really how you got into the Coast Guard. Okay. Um, So I'm Jody Williams and I am from Colorado, uh, Colorado Springs, Colorado. And so Colorado is, nobody knows about the Coast Guard in Colorado. I mean, it's a rarity. (laughs) So that's because there's no coast out in Colorado. (laughs) There's no coast. And so I can't, but when I heard about the Coast Guard, it was, it sounded like I was going into, I don't know, like the job corps or something, just something I honestly didn't know what <laughs> I was signing up for at all. <laughs> I That's know that I think like a lot of people out of high school, I just was not ready to, to buckle down and go back to school and I was not going to stay home. So um, started looking at recruiters, and there's this really small Coast Guard recruiting office up um, on the Wyoming-Colorado border, up in Thornton, Colorado. And so I made the drive and uh, was going to kind of hop around and talk to the different recruiters. And the Coast Guard was, was the first uh, one that I landed on, and it was the only recruiter that I talked to. Uh, and then I think I was signed up a week later. Maybe. Wow. Yeah, I got the, got the pamphlet. I got the pamphlet with, you know, the guy driving the boat and, you know, people rescuing turtles. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, me. <laughs> I had been to the ocean, I think, once uh, for a family vacation. Uh, so it from, you know, an outsider's perspective, if you've never seen the Coast Guard before. It looks just amazing. Just looks so cool. So out there, so different than anything else, any of the other services. And it is, it is yeah. so. anyway. Mm. So I joined the Coast Guard, uh, not knowing what I wanted to do, uh, got stationed in Tillamook Bay, Oregon, nice. where I was a fireman. Yeah. And, um, that I think for being a first tour, I couldn't have hit it right any more than I did. I think, being part of big waves, you know, that kind of ocean kind of set me up for success later on. Uh, and it was just, just something I had never encountered and it was amazing. And, um, small boat station life is, is good, but I think, I don't know, there's a lot of things when you're young, it's like being in college, you know, 
it's you're living in a dorm room essentially with a bunch <laughs> of other people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The barracks. Um, oh, the barracks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I I knew that I wanted to be an HS. And Which at is, that uh, time, hold on really quick. That's uh, a health services technician. It's basically uh, probably like a nurse. Just, just yeah, or like an assistant, yeah. you know, in a clinic. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I knew I wanted to do some sort of patient care. Um, and that kind of just seemed like the natural, natural job for that. Uh, but the school list, I think when I first started looking was almost three years and then it just closed altogether. Oh, wow. And so I was kind of at a standstill and someone had suggested to me to become a dental tech, basically a dental assistant, uh, because you get an automatic uh, spot in HS school after two years. So it was kind of my route that I could go to go be in HS. And uh, so I was like, oh, I'll go be a dental tech. <laughs> so that's what I did. I went to dental school, um, dental assistant school. And I got sent to um, Puerto Rico as a dental wow. tech. Oh, that's rough. Yeah, I know. Rough life. <laughs> <laughs> um, and honestly, that was like my real introduction to aviation. I was sent to the air station clinic oh, yeah. where I met ASTs and um, AMTs and AETs. And I uh, was living near them, you know, in the same neighborhoods and whatnot. And uh, their, their dental tech stand duty, uh, like an overnight duty, corpsman duty. Okay. So they send the text to EMT school. So I got to go to EMT school as a dental tech. And you know from going that that's 90% swimmer EMT school, oh, 10%. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got sent to EMT school with a bunch of dodo brain swimmers and got to know. <laughs> and immediately wanted to jump ship. I, I, what's funny is, you know, I was not a fit girl. I, you know, I was borderline overweight when I joined the Coast Guard. I was not um, athletic in any way. I had played every sport in high school. I sucked at every sport I ever played. I, um, I have no just natural athletic ability at all. Oh. <laughs> <Zero>. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> So I was starting from like bare bones. I started from square one. And I don't know, when I went to EMT school, I had just started trying to lose weight. Like I was running and I was trying to figure out how to lift weights <laughs> or, nice. you know, just trying to navigate it on my own. And uh, there was a swimmer. His name was uh, Rob McClure. Do you remember? Oh yeah, him? I know Rob. Yeah. He was a big time runner. And um I was running on a treadmill and, and this is chubby Jody, chubby Jody running on a treadmill. <laughs> and he asked me if I wanted to go for a run with him. And he took me running around the base with him, destroyed me up Texas Hill and nice. <laughs> and um, but he him and then a couple of the other swimmers kind of just kind of put a little bit of a, a spark in me kind of made me think that that was something I could do um John Holberg was in my class nice I, I don't know him personally but okay yeah uh kind of that whole generation of AST were in my initial ENT school and 
one of them, John was one of them, had asked me if I had ever thought about going to AST, which blew my mind because, like I said, I was not a fit girl at all. And um, to have these, you know, I think I can't speak for everybody, but I know that for me, not knowing an AST, I really kind of put them on a pedestal. I really did think they were better than me. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, we're not. We're just, for the record, you know, we're all, well, we're abnormal, but I mean, they're, we're, we're all a bunch of duck brains. Yeah, we're yeah, just, we're, we're just a, a bunch of guys having a good time with life, doing a job that we love. Yeah, and it's true. And I think that uh, being at AMT school with them for that amount of time and kind of seeing how, like, exactly what you said, they have fun with everything. They, they weren't stressed out about anything. They, they had a camaraderie already. I mean, they had only been ASTs for about five minutes and they were in EMT school, not qualified yet. And they had like this bond kind of as a group collectively. Yep. Yep. Um, so it's just really kind of an enchanting thing, you know? So I got back to Puerto Rico. I had been a dental tech for about five minutes and I had completely changed my mind as to what my path in the Coast Guard would be. Um, I, I had two years of obligated service as a dental tech before I could change my rate. So I, I, I told my dentist that I was going to go be an AST. I uh, signed up, took, you know, took my mechanical comprehension over again on my ASVAB. Nice, nice. <laughs> so you, gotta make, you gotta make sure you know where the hammer is because the bigger the yeah. job, the bigger the hammer. <laughs> yeah. That's a swimmer I, uh, right there. Come on, 10 pounds oh, of yeah. shit in a five pound bag. That's what we I do. <laughs> um, but I did, so I got my name on the list, figured out how to get my name on the list without even knowing if I could swim. I'm from Colorado. I did not grow up in the ocean. I was never on a swim team. I just kind of thought that if you were comfortable in the water, you just kind of knew how to swim. You know, if I, I don't know. I think a lot of ASTs are like that. I think a lot of ASTs teach themselves how to swim to go to school. And um, so I, I did. I, the same day I signed up, I remember I, uh, I went to the pool. We had it. It's like a little apartment pool on the cliff there in Puerto Rico. Beautiful. Um, but they give you a key. You can buy a key so you can swim at night. And I was embarrassed to go during the day. So I went at night and I just wanted to see how far I could make it. And I had never learned how to put my face in the water, never learned how to kick, never, you know, so I made it about half the length of the pool. <laughs> And I was like, ah, Jody, you're an idiot. <laughs> so wow. um, I know it's just crazy how things kind of work out the way they do. I went to work the next day completely defeated. My dentist, uh, really great guy, his name's Stanley Gordon. He uh, pictures chef from South Park. <laughs> okay. That was the dentist I worked for. And I remember I came in just completely defeated. And I was like, I can't swim. I don't know what I was thinking. I cannot swim. And he's, you know, it's going to be fine. It'll be all right. Blah, 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 blah. Um, but he had a friend. He had a friend that was TD at our clinic for two weeks. It was a captain. Captain Fajardo was his name. And he was friends with my doc. 
and he happened to be an Olympic swimmer for Canada. What? Yeah. Yeah. So my, my dentist that I worked for kind of set me up on a date with this guy uh, at the pool and every day for two weeks, he gave me lessons, taught me how to swim, taught me Are how to put my feet. kidding me? That is like, that is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Sign me up. Yes, please. <laughs> oh, just, I think the stars just aligned just right. And, yeah. and I really felt like when that happened, I was like, man, this is what I'm supposed to do, you know? It just solidified it. And it's like, all right, yeah, this is what I'm supposed to do. Wow. And um, I kept it a secret. I didn't tell anybody that I was on that AST list. Not one person at the air station um, or at the clinic because I just didn't want the naysayers. I didn't want anybody to try to get in my head and make that decision up for me. And um, so when I came up for orders, I showed up at the air station and they're like, what, <laughs> you know, and, but I had trained. I mean, I think those guys at that point, they had kind of seen me work for it without needing them or without asking them. Yeah. I had been working really hard for two years to get fit and um, just trying to figure it out on my own. And so I think at least, I mean, I never really asked them, but I think that kind of went a long way. They really didn't, they didn't need to, to push me or motivate me or anything like that. And so they really just needed to teach me, you know, yeah. the, what to do. So I, I'm going to back up to something you just said there. And I want everybody out there to really digest this. And that is from the time you were in EMT school, you said you were a little overweight, trying to get mm -hmm. into shape. And it really, you trained for two years prior to even showing up to the swimmer shop like for every, that's awesome the dedication yeah. that in the mind your own mindset going into that is in, incredible because you have um, you already have that drive awesome yeah well it's funny because i didn't know it i didn't know that i had that drive and i didn't know i didn't have the confidence yet to really recognize that but looking back especially looking back you know i've been around for a while now and i see I've seen so many airmen come through and I've seen so many people that say they want it and yeah, they yeah. can't work, you know, and for me, no, I knew they walk out. They, we had a guy and I talk about this in, uh, in, in the episode when I went to school, the asterisk and I, I watched a guy get right out of the pool, a night pool, night pool of all night pool is the <laughs> easiest part of swimmer school. It's night pool. And he got yeah. out and he walked into the locker room and he's like, oh, I'm just done. I want to go back to my unit. Yeah. They sent him to a big boat. Like that, that, I, that doesn't, that doesn't compute you know, to me. I don't get that. I think, you know, you don't know what you don't know. I oh, think totally. you have a vision in your head of what to expect and, you know, you prepare accordingly. Yeah. So if you think you're going to go into school and just crush it from day one and you're going to be this monster, <laughs> you're probably not going to be as prepared as you should be because you have to be humble and know that, you're not just, you don't have it yet. You're not a swimmer yet. Yep. And I think I knew that going into it. I knew that there was a lot to learn and a lot of training and um, I wasn't going to mess around and screw it up for myself, you know? <laughs> well, <laughs> you made it. You, I mean, you went and you <laughs> did it. 
<laughs> I still no, I look I I do not know how I made it through school. <laughs> I remember I called my mom one day and I was like, man, I'm in way over my head. <laughs> and, uh, and she's like, don't you quit? Don't you do it? Go she's mom. Like, she's like, if you if it's not for you, they're gonna tell you and they're gonna send you home. And so I just never I just waited for them to tell. I waited for them to send me home. <laughs> and they just never did. <laughs> and then instead you get crows, you get a graduation certificate, and yeah. welcome to being a rescue swimmer. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Girl, that is freaking amazing. Yeah. Two years of training on your own to get to the shop for your airman program, mm -hmm. which was at that yep. time probably four months. Because that yeah. was about, yeah. And then you go to school for four months and just get beaten mm -hmm. to yeah. Be down. And now yeah. you're, yeah. Okay. Oh, but you know what? I tell everybody, I'm like, you know, it's the best job in the Coast Guard. You oh, have to work the hard to get there, but it's the best job in the Coast Guard, yeah. hands down. Yeah. I agree. I love I it. People, I still do it. What's that? I still do it. You can't stop me. Are you kidding me? I, I love to fly. I love to jump out of the helicopter. I, just, oh, I don't ever want to um, stop. I hear you. I, uh, I could do that part of this job forever. Yeah. I really. It's amazing. All right. So sorry, you said, you, what were you going to say? You tell everybody what? Oh, you know, there's students that we, that come through our program that, you know, they, they quit or they fail and, and their heart, you know, their world is kind of broken at that moment. And I always just tell them that, you know, if AST is not for you, that is okay. Like you're here to figure that out. And if you're not going to stay in AST, you better stay aviation. <laughs> you better stay aviation because that is where it's at. You might not be AST material, but you better stay in aviation because that's where it's at. <laughs> Nothing against any of the guys that drive boats or get it away. No love. No we love, love our world. <laughs> we. we... <laughs> We love our air nails. I'd say. <laughs> Holy yeah. Oh, that's, uh, that's awesome. All right. So now let me fast forward to a little bit. So you get to your first unit, which is where? Los Angeles. Nice. So Los yeah. Angeles, um, man, that, that was actually, so that should have been a pretty good unit for you. You, or at least I think. Yeah. I, it was a great unit. It was a great unit. Great first unit to go to who yeah. um who was in charge there? Was that uh Carrie Province was my Yes, first. Carrie. Oh. To this day, the my I shouldn't say this, but my favorite. <laughs> my favorite boss. I, I, I won't tell him. any of the other boss. We all have our favorite. <laughs> Roger Wilson's up there too, but Carrie, man, he just such a good, good chief yeah. for a brand new AST, you know. Just the nicest, most caring person I've ever met. Awesome. Yeah, I love Carrie. Carrie's amazing. Carrie, yeah, shout really. out to Carrie Province right here. I'm hey. a tagger in this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Man. Oh, and Roger Wilson. So he's another one. Awesome guy. Great leader. Uh, yeah. Just um genuine is yeah. just so genuine. Roger, Roger is when I when I told him I wanted to have another baby, you know. Yeah. no no 
AST supervisor, no chief wants to hear that from a female. And I, I came to him and I was like, I'm going to have a baby. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> and then he, he was at my house. Um, I, I don't know if I could get him to hold, hold him or not, but he, man, he came to our house all the time just to visit with the kids. It was just nice, nicest guy, most he, genuine guy. He was just testing to see if he wanted one of his own. That's all he was doing. <laughs> That's right. He's got he's got one, so it's cool. <laughs> come on, come on, Roger. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's funny, dude. That's awesome. He's the wild. You know what? I, let me tell you one quick story about Roger. And so uh, we we went out as a as a shop. Actually, it was just me, my husband Asa, Dustin, and his wife, and Roger. I don't know if anybody else was there, but we. Dustin, he's a he's a fancy guy. I don't know if anybody knows this, but he's fancy. He Dustin likes the Stara, I love you, brother. <laughs> uh, I'm name dropping Dustin right here too. I'm tagging him too. <laughs> well, he had heard about this the speakeasy in San Diego, the speakeasy that he wanted to go to. So he invites us to go to the speakeasy, right? And we get and my I was surprised that Roger even wanted to go. That's not his thing, but. He, he comes and we get to the door and they won't let him in because he doesn't have a collared shirt. They won't let him in. You know what Dustin does? Take a guess. He took off his shirt to give it to him. Yeah. And you know what else he had underneath? Another collared shirt. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> so, He's wearing two so collared shirts. <laughs> because one, one has to be a different color than the other. So you got to put that up and then you roll the other collar on top. Dustin, I got I got the tips from you, bro. I got you. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, I love it. Hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, here you mm -hmm. go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. Oh my God. All right. So LA, you start in LA. And uh, can I imagine that you got your first case in LA? Yes. Do tell. Because that is what everybody wants to hear. That is what we want to know. Please elaborate on your first case. So I wish, I really wish it was an exciting case, no, but it wasn't. No, wait a minute. No, it's the first case. As a matter of fact, this is what I was told. The first case is like, it's like having that, 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 no, nah, never mind. Never mind. Go with it. First case. What do you got? All right. So, first case. Uh, I got called out to, it was a fishing charter and it was a guy that was having heart pain. So I'm guessing he was in the middle of a heart attack. Right. And so we launch, we get out there, they put me down on the boat to package him up and have a talk with him, see where he's at, see what his condition is. And I get down there and, uh, and he's stressed the freak out. He knows he's going to go in a helicopter. He's terrified. He, um, he obviously is having heart pain. So he's, you know, he's just very distressed. And so I call the letter down, I get him packaged up. And he, the one thing that he was the most scared about was spinning, spinning in the litter. And, and, you know, he's like, am I going to spin? Am I going to spin? And I was like, well, you might spin a little, um, but I'll be right behind you. And there's someone up there ready to catch you, you know, and, and I have, I had a trail line. I was like, I have a trail line. So if you do spin, you're not going to spin long and blah, 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 blah. Right. I give him the little, 
little talk. And um, mind you, before this case, um, when we got the call, uh, like every first case, I was, I was terrified. I was like, heart pain. What could that be? <laughs> Looking through my video, like, what, what could that be? What do I need to do? What do I need to bring? You know, and just, you know, just as stressed out as that guy in that litter about the swing, you know, I, uh, I was like, do I need to have the AD out? Should I have my pads ready? <laughs> oh my gosh. You, you know, you, you, you learn, you learn in the classroom, you learn on a dummy, but man, that first real live body is terrifying. It's terrifying. Well, it was for me anyway. So anyway, I get him up, uh, he gets into the, the mighty 65 and I come up after him and, you know, first thing I, I get the pro pack hooked up. I start getting his vitals, I start talking to him. And then, you know, there just wasn't a lot to do uh in the meantime and i am awkward i don't know if you know this about me but i'm an awkward person like i don't know what to do with my hands anybody that sees me standing knows that i don't know what to do with my hands <laughs> it's just who i am and so i'm looking at him and i i just started holding his hand and because i'm weird like that <laughs> started holding his hand and for the rest of the ride and we planned and I say my goodbyes, I hand them off, um, talk to the nurses for a quick minute. And then like months go by and I got a letter in the mail and it was from him. It's the only letter I've ever gotten ever. It's the only communication I've ever had with a patient like ever in my whole career. It was my first case. And it was a two page letter about how me holding his hands uh, made him feel. And what? yeah, that is it was, awesome. Yeah, it, it was the coolest thing ever, I, you know, because it was my first case. Yeah. So I didn't know what the heck I was doing. And uh, to get a letter from someone that appreciated just um, that little bit of, I don't know, sympathy, compassion, or just um, caring. Wow. I feel like I had done the right thing. And, and it also, like, looking back, that's one thing that I have always kind of preached to, you know, as an instructor, FEB, as an instructor at the schoolhouse, is just how you need to treat people like people. You know, like we get so caught up in the rescue, so caught up in, you know, doing a free fall. <laughs> you know, we get caught up in, in being the man and we kind of let everything else fall by the wayside, like to communicate with the, our patients and just to talk to them and be a caring individual. So that really stuck with me. And it's something that I've always um, tried to, you know, I don't know, preach to the people coming below me is just that need to treat people like people. That is, that is awesome. We're like oh. golden retrievers. We just retrieve, we retrieve, we retrieve. And we practice all the time on how to retrieve stuff, yeah. but we just don't put a lot of, you know, time into what comes after that. Right. Man, mm -hmm. that is incredible.
That yeah, that no. is an awesome first case. Yeah. I'm it, surprised it, you it, didn't write him a letter back saying, thank you for holding my hand, because I was scared to death. <laughs> <What's scary? laughs> you were scared. I was scared. <laughs> oh. Man, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. Love it. Love it. All right, so now I'm, I'm going to keep moving forward a little bit because um, you, what, your next unit was Kodiak, Alaska. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, okay. it was. So Kodiak, um, there, <laughs> this is where I'm going to bring <laughs> up the fact that I've Google searched your name you know, because this is what we do, right? <laughs> and it's convenient because you're actually written in two separate books that I found off like just Amazon. Which is, I can't believe that. I didn't even know that. <laughs> Well, it's funny because, uh, you know, as like I said, we talked offline a little bit, but I didn't know I was in this book either. So you and I are in the same book, which was kind of exciting to find my name. I'm like, oh, shit, I'm in the I'm in the book. <laughs> so let, let me go. Uh, I'll sign your book if you sign mine. I'm, that's, I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> you know how it's gonna, how much it's going to be worth? Uh, the same amount as the book. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right, so the, the two books um, that I found your name in specifically, one of them is called Jobs That Could Kill You, True Stories of People Risking Their Lives to Make a Buck. And it is by Tom Jones. And in that description of that book right there, here, uh, it actually talks about you and gives a good rundown and actually talks about a case um, that you had done. But I'm going to read a little bit of this because I want to talk about this a little bit later. But uh, 20, let's see, 22 Coast Guard rescue swimmers are stationed in Kodiak, Alaska. Jody Williams is a 26-year-old. She is the only female rescue swimmer on duty there. Quote, unquote, or this is what you said. Size obviously doesn't come into it. I can't say that I would be just as good handling someone that's 200 plus pounds as the guy next to me, but I know I can do it. I can handle myself. I know my techniques and what works for me. That is awesome, by the way. Uh, and I'm like, oh, come on. Oh, wait a minute. This is you getting into your case. So you get into a case right here and it says, oh, come on. And he's like, I can't. And I said, you're going to have to or you're not going to go anywhere. So he muscled up the strength to hold on and a wave came. And then I was pulling him up. The helo couldn't hover there. So I was going to have to swim him out. The waves were like crashing over and over. And the guy was terrified of the water. Every time a wave would come, he'd get down on his hands and knees because he was terrified of getting pushed back in. Right as I was getting ready to take him into the water, the helo said they were out of gas and they left us. <laughs> so uh, you, got, you got to fill me in a little bit on this one. See, this sounds like, uh, go ahead. What, what do you got? So that was actually a case that I had in LA. It was uh, in the Channel Islands. Santa Barbara Island was the was the where they were, and it basically a storm had come through. There were there were three people on the boat, and they were anchored for the night. And while they were sleeping, they broke anchor and they ran aground on um, just like an outcropping of rocks um, along this little cliff of of this island and. I think what happened is they, once they hit, hit the rocks, they both, they, all three of them went to the top deck 
and uh, big waves washed them off the boat. So they all left the boat. Uh, it was uh, an older man, probably late 60s, and his two sons that were in their 30 to 40-ish range. And uh, the sons had managed to make it back to the boat. Uh, the father had been washed into this shallow cave in, in the side of the cliff. Uh, neither, and, and I think you have to understand, you know, the, the conditions were pretty, pretty big. And one of the sons- uh, uh, Define big, how, how big are you talking? Oh, uh, well, I, big enough that when I was being put down, the flight mech pulled me back because he didn't feel comfortable. Wow. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but and you're talking breakers on the shore too. Yeah. Because yeah, I mean, if yeah. you're talking he's inside a cave, yeah, yeah that, that's pretty gnarly. Rocky, rocky cliff is, it's just rocky cliff. There's no beach. There's no, it's not shallow. It's deep, but it's rocky cliff. And, um, so anyway, uh, yeah, so when they put me down, as I'm swimming, I, I'm swimming as hard as I can swim, and I am just going nowhere, nowhere, nowhere. I'm trying to get to this outcropping of rocks where the boat is, and, um, and then I feel myself kind of going backwards, <laughs> and I know what is about to happen. <laughs> and then waves sucked me up and threw me right down on those rocks, right where I needed to be, which, oh. which was... Honestly, that was kind of a blessing because um, it would have been very difficult to manage being alongside a cliff like that, trying to get up those rocks from that angle. So it was a good thing. I make it to the boat. The two sons are, are back in the boat. One of them has a broken leg. The other one, um, I'm assuming, had some broken ribs. He had a hard time breathing and he was not, he could not swim. Their father was in the shallow cave. And um, so they were kind of just pointing me to the direction of where the third person was. And so at this point I'm on the rocks. So, and there's waves kind of crashing over the rocks, but I'm making my way to where I can see uh, the opening into the rocks are. And I, I had just gotten a brand new flashlight the night before one of those surefires. <laughs> and so I break that sucker out <laughs> and, um, and I could see him back there, uh, the reflective, uh, retro reflective tape on his vest and I was yelling out to him and he wasn't answering me and so I just assumed he was unconscious and I think so when you and I spoke before I kind of mentioned that really a lot of the cases that I remember are cases where I've done something wrong or where I messed up or right. just lessons learned things like that this was a big one for me because um, I didn't call the Hilo. I didn't tell them, you know, who I had, what I had. Um, and I jumped in the water without even telling them where I was going. I, I just got so tunnel vision that I, I jumped into the water and I swam right for that guy. And looking back, you know, we all have heard, you know, of cases where right. swimmers have found themselves in, in bad spots. And it was a rough day. And I, didn't even occur to me that I could find myself in a situation that I might need some backup. <laughs> and I jumped in, I got to him. Uh, he did answer me. He was not unconscious. He was very, he was hypothermic. He okay. was just extremely hypothermic. Uh, so I have a brief conversation with him. I kind of tell him what we're going to do, where we're going to do it, how we're going to do it. And, and 
he says, okay. And he's, like I said, he's probably lower seventies, upper sixties. And, uh, I, I turn around and start buddy towing him back to the rocks to, to get back up into where the boat is. And, um, we get to the rocks and it's just wave after wave after wave. And this guy is just getting pounded, getting pounded and he's already defeated, you know, and every time I would, I would, you know, you know, you kick and then you grab, right. And then a wave comes kick and then you grab. And, you know, I could do that, but this, this gentleman could not, like he had no strength in him to hold on to those rocks and he's a heavy set guy. And so we kind of sat there and I was like, I, I don't know what I'm going to do with him. You know, like he's not strong enough to get up these rocks and the rocks are like, I can't stand at the top and pull him. They're, they're too tall, like, you know, side by side. So I'm trying to figure it out in my head and I, I get up on the rocks and I start trying to get it. I, I hook his armpits and I'm trying to pull while the, while the wave comes just to get him up. But every single time, he would slide back down because he just could not hold on to those rocks. And I finally told him, I was like, if you don't hold on, <laughs> if you don't hold on to these rocks, like we're not getting out of here. So you need to hold on. And, you know, a couple more, more times and he managed to hook onto one of those rocks and then I was able to pull him up. Um, wow. But that, yeah, you know, with a helicopter that can't hover along the cliff because of the downdraft and rough seas, I could have found myself in a situation that I was not prepared for or able to execute. And I tell people that when I go to AHARS, I tell that to people all the time, like do what you need to do. Just let your crew know, right. let your crew so that they can start working out, you know, your exit plan or your strategy, or, you know, at least aware of the fact that you, you will need assistance or, you know um, but anyway, so we made it up up the rocks. And at this point, the, the tide is coming up. So the boat had already run aground, tide's coming up a little bit. And those waves that were kind of crashing at the front of the rocks when I arrived were just crashing over, crashing over, crashing over. And so every time we take a step and he's an older man, you know, and he, he was so scared of getting washed off those rocks again, that he would just drop to his knees and, and grip onto those rocks. And uh, uh, so so I finally get him back to the boat. And at that, at that point, that's actually when the helo had to return to base. And uh, so I was going to be hanging out with them for a while. So <laughs> I asked if they had sleeping bags. <laughs> you know, and we, we prepared to kind of stay put for a while. And uh, so I got him wrapped up in a sleeping bag. And uh, the other two are in the boat as well. And I'm on the radio trying to listen to see what is going on. You know, if, if the helo is on its way back and I hear on the radio that uh, the LA County lifeguards are on their way. Wow. Uh, nice. They're, I know, which is crazy. And just to, to give you some sort of idea of how nutty that is that they even got underway, the lifeguard that was on duty that night, he got um, it's, it's, it's like the life-saving medal, only one. It's like a medal of honor that you get in the lifeguard community. Um, he got an award for that case um, just for going out there, <laughs> oh, just wow. for going. And he, we, so I, I had made contact with the boat as it was on its way. 
and we had a plan. He was going to swim to the rocks and we were just going to take turns uh, swimming the survivors to the boat and taking the boat back because at the time we didn't have a helo overhead. Yeah. Um, so he, he lets me know that he's getting in the water and he starts making his way over to us and I don't hear anything, don't hear anything. And then he's on the rocks and I know exactly what happened. He got sucked up. (laughs) (laughs) You look at him, you're kind of like laughing at me like, I just did that. (laughs) I should have told you my bad. Um, But he, he, um, he said, there's no way we're pulling these survivors off of these rocks. And you look at him like, like, yeah, tell me something I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, so now it's you know me, the lifeguard, and the three survivors, and we're like, no, no, no. And he said he's like, you know, I'm 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 surprised that I made it. He's like, I thought I was gonna get sucked underneath and die. Like he was terrified. And um so we our plan was just to wait wait for the helo to get back and then all would be right with the world again. And little did I know that um, San Diego was on their way with the 60. Nice. Yeah. And the swimmer on board was John Lindborn. <laughs> nice. Oh, fantastic. John is an amazing guy. Let's shout out to John Lindbergh. Man. Yeah. Awesome. And they had been so kind of off in a distance. They had been, uh, filming or watching uh, me and this lifeguard try to finagle, you know, a plan of getting the survivors off the rocks. And, um, and we were just getting pounded by waves, pounded by waves. And so they decided that they're going to come in and the mighty 60 can hover. Yeah. <laughs> they don't, oh, yeah. down not a thing for them. So they came down and, you know, where I might've thought that they'd lower the basket because there's already a swimmer on scene. I see fins come out the door. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, darn it. Okay. Yeah, yep. Lindborn comes down. And but you're not moves. telling me that you saved me. Okay, you were coming down yes. to assist me. That's all there is to it. I get the rescue, you get the assist. <laughs> Absolutely not. He was not going to do that, but he wanted some of the action, which I would too. He came down, we got everybody in the basket, we hoisted the lifeguard, put him back on his boat, and then we made our way back the next day. So, yeah, oh, that was it. What a it great good. story. Man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pretty nutty. Pretty nutty. But I learned a lot. I learned a lot. Yeah. Because um, I think ASTs just kind of always think they have to have to rescue and uh and i was prepared and and this is another thing i say at ahars um every time i've been is i was dead set on pulling that guy off those rocks and swimming him to that boat like i could have killed him i could have killed him because i was so focused on rescuing this guy and getting him to safety that it didn't you know the fact that the like of course the helos coming back yeah. You know, why I felt like I needed to pull him off these rocks and swim him to the boat. It, it, all I can say is I was new and I had just never really, uh, it takes a while to learn how to be a professional. You know, you, you don't come out of the gates being a professional. You, mm-hmm. you become a professional by, by having these kinds of cases and kind of being humbled by them. Yeah. 
but yeah, I was, I was dead set. I was prepared to just kill us both <laughs> bound and determined. <laughs> oh, Jody, that is awesome. God, girl, what? That's awesome. I love it. It was a good case. Good case. Especially for a newbie. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I can see it. I can see the whole thing play out. It's, that's, mm -hmm. <laughs> well done. Oh, by the way, the flashlight that I had got. Did you lose it? It wasn't waterproof. It was a one-time use. <laughs> Came in really handy that one time. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm glad you, I'm glad it worked. <laughs> Oh, oh, that's hilarious. Nice. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, I, I do. All right. So now let's move back up to Kodiak. So uh, again, I didn't know that case was down in LA or I would have asked that a minute ago, but the book kind of makes it sound like it's in Kodiak. So yeah, kind of interesting. Yeah, uh, that's okay. Again, you didn't know you were in the book. So <laughs> <laughs> it happens. So um, there, there's another, actually, so I do want to read this little part of this because this is out of this in particular book. Um, and this book is called Rescue Warriors, the U.S. Coast Guard, America's Forgotten Heroes. And this is by David, I'm sorry if I pronounce his name wrong, but uh, Helvarg, Helvarg, something like that, H-E-L-V-A-R-G. Anyway, so in the book, it specifically talks to you. And when I told you, like, I was reading this and all of a sudden I read my name and your name. And I was like, Hey, I'm in a book that she's in. You're like, <laughs> what? together? I didn't know that. That's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so I was totally pumped that I get to share a book with you. This is, this is great. So, uh, but seeing that I'm, I'm talking to you and, and I want to hear all about you, this in particular, like shout out to Jody Williams right here. Um, Will Milam had a case up here and he was talking about, uh, just being in Kodiak as he, he's a 41 year old and he's one of the oldest men of 19 men in Kodiak swimmer shop. And he says, actually there's 18 men and Jody Williams who showed her toughness by reporting back to duty two weeks after giving birth. She had prepared this by doing eight mile runs while eight months pregnant. What uh you're doing eight miles run eight months pregnant that's awesome so um was that will milam that said that uh yeah or, I, i'm, I'm kind of i'm getting uh, it's more of a guess but i would imagine so yeah sounds like will he does have a hat embellishing a little <laughs> will milam embellish no i can't wait to have a lot here too because uh, i'm gonna pick on him about it <laughs> no so um I did not, I did not go back to standing duty two weeks after giving birth. I think what he's saying is um, after I got back to work, it took me about two weeks to get back to standing duty. Wow. So just to clarify, I, uh, I took my standard maternity leave. I didn't, uh, you know, jump out of the hospital bed and start standing duty. <laughs> start banging out push-ups. I said, what? One master chief, two master chief. <laughs> yeah. But I did. Oh. I, I remember, you know, so I had my first, my first baby there. And, um, I had a lot of mixed feelings about having children in general, just because it's a scary thing. You know, I had this 
if, if it, if I had not happened on accident the first time, I don't think I would have ever chosen to have kids initially because like there's, my job was so important to me and I was fearful that I wouldn't get back in shape, that I wouldn't be standing duty again, that, you know, I didn't want to be that girl that couldn't do her job, you know, all of those things that come with the territory. And so you better bet when I was home after I had my, my child, I was doing anything and everything I could do to, to get back into shape because I, I put a lot of pressure on myself to, to not be that, to be that girl. And um, yeah, I, I did. I worked really hard to get back in shape as quickly as I could, because I just didn't want to be a burden on the shop anymore. You know, they've been picking up my slack. (laughs) 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 I just, it, it really ate at me. It was a really hard thing for me um, to not stand duty. And so the second I could start standing duty again, I did. So out of curiosity, my own curiosity is at what point did they pull you out of the duty rotation when you got pregnant? Ooh, so that's tricky. Um, so when I, I, I actually was found out I was pregnant in, um, in LA and back kind of backtrack a little bit. I had been told this was before I ever had was pregnant or had babies. I asked about, you know, what my odds of getting up to Kodiak were. Yep. And I was told not a shot in hell would they send a female to Kodiak um, that that wasn't a place that they sent female swimmers. Um, they put us in safe spots where we can't, you know, embarrass um, ourselves. Did they not Whatever. hear the story that you just went through? Um, <laughs> that's not a safe spot. Yeah. <laughs> drilled into a rock. Okay. Yeah. We, I was basically told it was kind of a PR thing, you know, and that really, that really obviously upset me because I felt like I had earned my place, but, um, you know, so I really didn't think that I could even get to Kodiak. And then when I did get to Kodiak, it was because I was pregnant and I showed up into that shop, you know, I think five months pregnant. And, uh, so I had a lot of, uh, guilt. I had a lot of, you know, I had a lot of mixed feelings about going to that particular unit pregnant. So yeah, you better bet I was working my butt off to, to try to pull my weight and to, yeah. But so I found out I was pregnant in LA and I was, I was the first, uh, swimmer to, to get pregnant. And so I, I said, you know, I kind of made up my own rules there Nice. in that. I was like, I can fly, I can, I can swim. I can, you know, I can do all these things. And I kind of, that pregnancy manual back then was a little vague. Like it, it, it spoke specifically on standing duty. It didn't say anything about training flights or, you know, or flying or anything. And so I navigated that manual. I was a sea lawyer and I, I wanted to, to take training flights. I wanted to do swimmer flights. I wanted to free fall from a helicopter while I was pregnant. And, um, and I didn't, I didn't want any doctor or anybody to tell me that I couldn't because I was being stubborn. And it's funny so I speak at the women in aviation conference every so often. And, and I've said this, you know, we, us women, especially type a personalities, we're not going to be told this. We're not going to be told that (laughs) I know, but I was being driven by guilt and I, and I was, 
I was taking those training flights and I was uh, wanting to deploy from helicopters out of guilt, not because, and, and because I felt like I could, like I had never been pregnant before. And I, you know, I was like, oh, my body tells me I'm fine. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I thought, and so I flew, I flew up to my third, you know, once I hit my third trimester uh, with my first, when I got to Kodiak, uh, the, the flight surgeon there wasn't as uh, willing to, to allow me to, to continue my same training flights and whatnot. And he did not see the pregnancy manual the same way I did. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> there, there might have been a little uh, head butting on that one. Or yeah. um, let's see, we don't see quite the same. <laughs> I'm reading it this way. You're reading, we're reading the same manual, right? Well, the interpretation is very different, sir. <laughs> but he allowed me to fly. He just didn't allow me to deploy from the helicopter in a in training. So um, I flew to my third tri trimester. Same thing with my third. I flew until my third trimester, um, but didn't deploy as a swimmer with the my second two children. Okay. Because nice. I had kind of learned, like I that I was not doing what was right or safe. Wow. That, I, I, that's very interesting that you, I appreciate you telling me about that and like how you were able to navigate through that and kind of really, you probably wrote the manual of it. Now, now I'm thinking about it, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Jody will try to get, do this. Jody yeah, will yeah. try to do this. <laughs> <laughs> Your, the manual got changed because of you and the whole Coast Guard has been changed because of you. Awesome. <laughs> you're welcome, ladies. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> oh, man, that's awesome. Um, while you were in Kodiak, did you have any cases up there that kind of stand out to you? I did. Um, I did, actually. One of them, not for the, the reasons that you would think, but uh, I got the, I got sent, actually two, two cases that I got that I had in Kodiak that kind of stick out in my mind. One of them was a fairly simple deal. It was a couple, an older couple on a skiff type boat and they were in there. So Kodiak is surrounded by different channels and waterways and they were in one of the waterways and they had run out of gas. And if you know anything about Alaska, the, the tide changes are, are massive. So um, the currents, they, they run strong. And so when you're out of gas, your boat just kind of goes, you know, and right. uh, so they were out of gas, they needed a ride and we got sent out there and they put me in the water because the boat is too small to hoist to. And I get in the water and I'm swimming for my life. And this boat is just sailing away from me, just sailing away from me. Another lesson learned. You need to be downwind. <laughs> down, downwind, down current, down river. Down, current, yeah. <laughs> down the river. Um, and so anyway, I'm swimming and I'm being stubborn. So uh, there's a mech. His name was Bubba Ray. I don't remember what his real name is, but that is what everybody called him was Bubba. And Bubba, he, uh, he had lowered the hook. And so as I'm swimming, the hook is literally like right next to my, my face. And I'm like, now, <laughs> and he's following me with the hook <laughs> as I'm swimming, <laughs> just following me like, Hey, and, uh, I finally gave up, hooked up. It takes me 
downriver of this boat and I, I get on the boat and, and they have no flotation and uh, they're an older couple and the water's cold, it's winter. And I have to pull them off the boat to put them in a basket. So they're very nervous, obviously, to go into the water. Sorry, I think dogs. Oh, good. <laughs> anyway, um, so I am, I'm, I'm telling them how it's got to go. And I just know that the second I put them in the water, they're going to panic. And so I take the, the wife first. And they're, just to give you an idea, they're probably in their low 70s as well they're an older couple and i put her in the water and she's a heavy set woman but man she wrapped me up like an octopus she was all over me and of course my mind went right to a school and i thought jamming my thumb up into her right under (laughs) and and i stopped myself because she's an old lady and she's terrified and the last thing i should do is jam jam my thumb into a pressure point (laughs) so i just i just got on my back and i let her hold on and i just swam i just kicked backwards to the basket and put her in the basket um and then attempted to swim for the boat that was long gone uh to get to get her husband <laughs> and there's a hook sitting right by your head <laughs> come on in, bubble. <laughs> so um i make it to the boat and i pull the gentleman into the water and he's wearing gloves uh didn't really strike me as anything um abnormal but he has severe arthritis and he gets a lot of pain from the cold and so pulling him into that water was like electricity in his hands and he was panicked as all get up and uh, kind of the same thing. I think he remained calm until the rotor wash, till I got to the rotor wash and he lost his mind. And it's so funny. A lot of the students that we have, they think that we exaggerate when we're acting like crazy people, you know, right. getting put into the basket or whatnot, but right. he really, yeah. did. And, and for good reason, yeah. that water is so dang cold and he's in a lot of pain and he got into that basket and he felt like he was sinking you know the the bales the way that the basket floats he really thought he was sinking and he was panicking and uh pull him up and then i get up into the helicopter this is why i remember this case so well i get into the helicopter i ask them both you know okay i get them blankets second i get them blankets you know what they do they start making out (laughs) What? <laughs> oh my you can't make this up you can't uh, they, it, it was the coolest thing i've ever seen they just wrapped each other up and just started kissing and i was like that is awesome you know they were so happy to be alive so happy for the other one to be alive and yeah man they just went at it wow. <laughs> Oh, Jody, that's awesome. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? I'm like yeah. That, that happy ending where, you know. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I love it. I the think, emotions. Um, yeah. Um, and just the appreciation for, you know, they really thought, you know, the, the situation was pretty benign, you know. They really just needed a ride home, but 
man, they really felt like they were in the clutches, you know? Yeah. And yeah, so very happy to be alive. It's pretty great <laughs> feeling. That is awesome. Oh, I love it. Oh. Yeah. I can't, I gotta tell you, I've never had that. That is not something that I've ever experienced. When you start looking over, you're like, hey, good job. Just make it out. Save the moment. Um, you know, I told you that like I'm an awkward person and I do awkward things and I'm a weirdo, but I've had some just weird, you know, just interesting cases like that, just where like things that you don't expect like that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I had a case where I think I might've told you about this when we were offshore, we were doing a fisheries patrol, a good couple miles offshore. And I, I looked down and there was a guy on a surfboard laying on a surfboard out there. And yeah. And I, I called it out. I was like, there's, there's a guy on a surfboard out here. <laughs> and we come down into a hover and he was on a, he was on a skiff that had okay. flipped over. And I, I went into the water and I swam over to him and I asked him how long he had been out there. He'd been out there for three days. Oh, what? For three days laying on this boat waiting to be rescued. And, and I was like, Oh my gosh, <laughs> I'm so glad we found you. <laughs> and, uh, and we hoisted him and, you know, he was hypothermic, obviously severely shaking and I, I pulled off my helmet just to kind of aid a little bit, just to pull off my helmet. And he stopped shaking for half a second, looks at me and he's like, you're a girl. <laughs> he's like, what? You're a girl? <laughs> he told me yes. I was an angel. <laughs> Again, you're welcome. <laughs> oh, yes. honey, that's awesome. <laughs> crazy uh, i love it i love what we do i love these stories <laughs> yeah, this is awesome all right pretty so cool. i i don't want to keep you too much longer so um i i want to i want to touch on one thing which i i thought was very interesting between you and i so uh because there's not much of a visual for everybody right now because this is all audio i personally am six foot four i'm 207 pounds ish um Let's see, I, I can throw all my numbers for squats and bench press, but I like to think I'm kind of a strong guy until, mm -hmm. uh, except for overhead squats. I'm not very good at, and until like two months ago, my wife could overhead squat more than I could, but ah, I got her now. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so I want to talk technique a little bit. Um, so if, without giving numbers, because I know, I know girls, I'm not going to ask your weight and height and all jazz and blah, oh, whatever. <laughs> All right, so give everybody a perspective. Like I said, I'm six foot four. How tall are you? I'm five seven. All right, so give me your. <laughs> I wasn't even asked that. I wasn't even asked. <laughs> All right, so we our differences of size in general um, just make technique, and this is what I want to touch on: is our technique is different. So we're gonna have, no matter what, you and I have the same job. Like if I'm standing duty and there's a 200 pound guy that's offshore in the water on a skiff, like you're just talking about, I got to go get him. In this case, it was you. You got to go get him. Now you got to get him into the aircraft. So what I want to touch on a little bit is like, what do you do? How, how is your technique working for you that you may be able to help others? 
Um, well, I mean, so there's, I'm five, seven, 140 pounds and, um, our rate, our rate is not all, you know, six foot four, right. 200 pound people. And so I, there's a small framed ASTs out there. Just, just to, you know, throw that out there. Um, and you do like, if you, if I don't have the ability to reach my arms completely around, you know, someone and get a good hold on their lat, you know, I, ha- I still have to be able to manage them. Yeah. And I think that that has come with time, um, school, of course, but time in just how to, how to manage someone larger than me. Right. So if I, for instance, buddy toes, I, I always, always, always use a controlled cross chest. I never skull. I never take one arm off. I always keep locked in both hands if I can, because um, I, I need, I need both my arms. If I can't get my one arm all the way around, or if I can't manage someone and feel that they're secure, then I, I go to a controlled cross chest always. And every time I've ever um, like a stand check um, or when I'm uh, in the water with other ASTs, when we're doing training flights, everybody grabs the Triton. Yep. They always do an equipment toe. I never do an equipment toe. I can't manage a survivor doing an equipment toe because there's a distance between me and the survivor. Whenever there's a gap between me and the survivor, I'm at a disadvantage because I don't have any counterweight or, you know, right, right. so I need to be close to that survivor as I can um, to be able to manage them the best. And so I, I, I do, I, I get as close. I don't ever let there be a gap between me and another person. And I, I'm a, I'm very lady. I have very, I have strong legs. And so where I might lack in my arms, I, <laughs> I make four, make up four in my legs. I'm very leg strong. So if, um, I can manage a survivor, not using my arm, if I, if I need to hold on, I can manage a survivor fairly easily with, with my legs, with my kick. Nice. So I really train to that. I really train, um, my, my kick. I, I, I flutter kick, you know, I, all the time. I always work on keeping that hip strength and I, um, I train exactly like I did in a school when it comes to managing survivors in, in the water, because that's the safest method for me. I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna keep someone from turning on me if I have only got one arm on them. I'm never gonna be able to tow them efficiently if I've only got one arm arm on them. I really, I really have to just use kind of their body mass to manage um, as long as I can, as long as I can kick. Yeah. You know, and then same thing, you know, there's a lot of people that aren't, uh, uh, their upper body strength, you know, they're, they're masters of their own body weight, but they might not necessarily be as strong as like me to you. Like, right. I'm not as strong as you, but my, my, um, I can manage my body weight really well. So I can pull myself up on a boat. I can pull my, I can pull myself up anything, you know, because I, I, I have mastered my body weight in that sense. I can manage my body weight really well. Um, and then when it comes to things where you just kind of need to be strong, um, that's, that's where you kind of have to be humble and, and work, work around it. Like if I, if I, if I can't pull someone, put someone over my shoulders, I'm going to drag them 
if I can't push someone, I'm going to drag them. If I can't lift something, I'm going to pull it. Like there's, there's counter movements to, to movements. And if I can't, if I can't push you, I'm going to pull you. If I can't pull you, I'm going to try to push you. If I can't lift you, I'm going to try to push you. If I, you know, and so, um, I think just kind of recognizing that our, you know, our, my strengths might be your weaknesses and your weakness or your strengths might be my weaknesses and just managing that a lot of ASTs are really top heavy and they, and they can be very successful, but they have to buddy toe a little different because they might not have that leg strength. They might have to use their arm to skull. They might have to do an equipment toe because they can manage better because they can use their arms more. Me, I don't use my arms as much. I use my legs. Smart, Um, smart. Um, and we, you know, it's kind of interesting. We, we have our standard at school that we teach our students, but they, they all kind of tweak it a little, tweak their technique a little to manage for themselves, you know? Yeah. Uh, you tall guys struggle in a lot of areas where, you know, one, your one lever specifically is sitting in the back of the 65. That's, that's always a struggle for me. <laughs> 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 Whatever, <Yeah>. Jody. <laughs> manage your own you have to manage you have your own challenges just with your your long levers you know like you you probably manage things differently than uh someone that's closer to the ground you know yeah uh totally agree you know um, there's there's a there are differences that i do uh you know depending on what it is but yeah it's you you have to you're spot on you have to take advantage of your technique and your body weight to be able to do whatever you're going to be able to do, you know, and like work smarter, not harder, you know, we have have tools, we have things that we can use to benefit us. We have devices, we have, you know, we have a hoist hook, you know, like we have have a helicopter. Yeah, you don't have to swim after that boat after it's been like, it's a, it's a thousand meters in front of you. You're like, Oh, do I have to swim that far? No, you got you got a helicopter ready for pickup emergency. Come get me. Whatever you want to do. So bring me over. Can you, can, can I get it? Can I, I ra- it, radio? I call it critically thinking. <laughs> Brilliant. Ah, <laughs> uh, sir, ma'am, may I get a ride, please? <laughs> hey, whatever works. I, you know what? I'm all in and, and I've used that. Um, it's, it's a great technique to use. And that is you know, like, and you hear swimmers all the time talking about they've swam to shore and back out through breakers and to shore and back out through breakers. You've got a helicopter, pick them up and then sling load them over. You don't have to come all the way to the cabin. You just come five feet off the water, sling load them in, drop them off at the beach and then go back out. You you never actually come off the hook. It's Hey, there's a lot of like different scenarios call for different things. And I definitely think that no matter what your body type is like, you as a swimmer, you owe it to whoever it is that you're, you're going out to, to be as physically fit as you can. Yeah. Um, that you owe that. That's why you're there. That's why you're employed where you're employed. And that is a tool that you have as well as any other tool is your strength and your brains. So to work to keep it strong and keep it fit and healthy, um, so that you can manage, um, because, you know, in some scenarios, that's required. Like, if a helicopter can't get near a cliff, you're going to swim. If a yeah. helicopter can't get near a boat, you're going to swim. Yeah. If uh, if and if they can't get to that boat, 
you're going to have to figure out how to get your butt up onto that boat. Right, <laughs> right. Know, there's, so, Welcome to CrossFit. There's your muscle up. <laughs> Can't do it. You better figure it out pretty darn quick. Give it a little kick. Boop, and now you got to get on the boat. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, and there are a lot of swimmers, you know, we, we can pick on each other because we can, and this is all the swimmers, you know, like you said at the beginning, you work with a bunch of knuckleheads. I'm paraphrasing. But at the same time, you know what? I, I will say that we collectively our our group that, that I've worked with are really, uh, we have such ingenuity and we make things happen when the odds are against us. Like that, and that's all of us. You're like, oh, you know what? Maybe if I do this, and now all of a sudden you're thinking way outside the box, whether it's climbing the mountain this way, whether it's being dropped off above, or, you know, uh, there are so many different scenarios and cases. And you and I had talked to actually one of the guys that had used a fire hose to climb down an area, you know, that's, that's the ingenuity behind of what we do and how we go about to save somebody. It's like, I mean, you, like you that's, said, that's, you're like trying to get to the cave to go get somebody to bring them back. And it, it's, you know, the, yeah, the mindset. I of, think just the ability to problem solve and be professional. I just, I think ASTs, I obviously I have a sweet spot for ASTs and bias. It's cool. I, <laughs> I do. And I, I think it's because they're just so impressive to me. I think that ASTs, just the ability to lock it in and get it done and, and to do it without complaint, to do it without, you know, to not allow yourself to fail and to be a victim is just really cool. I think we're, we're crazy smart at what we do and we're um, the most professional um, that I've ever seen. You know, I, I just think that ASTs, they, uh, they're very special just a very special person to be an AST. And, um, I, I I'm going to miss it when I'm, when I'm not doing it anymore. And I'm always going to wave at the helicopter. <laughs> and back, you know, yep. I just, I just love AST so much. And I, I love what we do. And I, I really love the work that we do and so proud of, you know, I have not listened to your podcast because you told me not to. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't um, want, because I want this authentic. And this is, by the way, the reason I'm doing this, because I'm never letting this go. I love these stories way too much. I live vicariously through everybody else right now. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just so proud. I'm so proud of what ASTs can do. And I, I've told you stories of ASTs that just blow my mind, right. blow my mind, you know, physical gripping someone for 10 minutes yeah. like blow my mind yeah. it just it, it i think i know i'm one of them but i am the most proud of us than you know their moms probably <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, i just love it that's awesome oh jody girl i i can't thank you enough uh if you want to leave us with one more of your stories i'd love to hear it um okay it, it was another lesson learned type of thing. If okay. we were, okay, we were going out to, uh, it was a blizzard outside, like the kind of blizzard where like you can just hear the wind like slamming into the hangar, you know, and um, I wasn't on duty 
and there was a swimmer. That, Those are my favorite uh, stories. I wasn't on duty. It wasn't my duty day. Well, it's it's not going to be what you think, but so there was a swimmer that um, he was injured. He had cut his hand on his duty night, and he uh, thought that he would be able to finish out his duty day and go like unnoticed. He didn't. He didn't report or tell anybody. Well, then it's like four o'clock. He's getting ready to do changeover. Actually, maybe it's three. And uh, and he comes to me. He's like, and the SAR alarm goes off. And he's like, Jody, um, can you take can you take my flight? I cut my hand. I, and and he told me that he thought he'd be able to finish out his duty day without anybody noticing. Can I take his flight? Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh yeah, I'll take your flight. So um, I have no idea what it is or you know anything like that. And I go down to brief and the pilot. I only remember one of them, kind of a junior guy and a junior flight mech and myself, and we're briefing about going out to pick up this guy with a broken leg off out of one of the villages. And I kid you not, like there's no visibility outside. It is slammed, like just wind pounding snow. And, uh, and I, I asked the question, I said, are we, um, are we going to go out in this or, you know, are we going to wait or, and he's like, he's like, don't worry about it, Jody. It's marbled. Meaning that we're going to, it's banded meaning like right now it's bad, but we're going to get up. It'll be clear. We'll run through a couple bands perfectly safe, you know? And I, I just said, okay, I went and I got changed out and we're launching and we turn up and it feels like the wind is going to flip our helicopter on its side. Like wow. we're just, it's just slamming at us and we're getting ready to take off. You can't even see the hangar. Can't see. There's another hangar that we kind of have to maneuver around to take off. And we're coming down the, the taxiway and there are cars driving on the taxiway because they think it's a road because they can't see anything. And, um, yeah, and we're getting ready to, to take off. And uh, another pilot is coming in. He's like, we're shutting down at the airport. Uh, we're gonna need a tow back to the air station because we can't find the air station. We don't know where it is. Like we can't see anything, this and that. And this pilot still wants to take off for this guy that has a broken leg in a village. And, um, and, and I'm still like, okay, <laughs> you know? And, uh, and then, so finally ops calls and he's like, you need to shut down. And it, we shut down on the taxiway and they had to tow us all the way back to the hangar because we couldn't even navigate back to the hangar. And I go inside and I immediately get called into my chief's office and he ripped me a new one. And he said, what the hell are you thinking? You're not a baby swimmer anymore. You need to stick up for yourself. You should not have even taxied out there. Um, you, you know, you need to teach these guys, you know, what's right and what's wrong. And you launching on a broken leg in, a, in the middle of a blizzard, you can get yourself killed. You're going to get yourself killed. And um, man, that was, that was a case to remember. <laughs> yeah, case wow. to remember. Great yeah. lessons. Great. You know yeah. what? I, I'm going to give props to your chief right there too. Cause you're right. Yeah. When you pass that junior spot, you are the person that's got to, to give that. I remember the transition for me as well. 
Like, I remember yeah. that distinctly. Like, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm the guy they're looking at right now. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it was it was an eye opener for sure. Lesson learned. Um, and it was a case that we just didn't execute. We just didn't go. Perfect. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. There, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I, and I emphasize that to everybody that's listening. If if you if you're in doubt, be patient. Your yeah. emergency or their emergency is not your emergency. Don't make yourself an emergency. Yeah, it's just kind of interesting. Uh, just something that sticked out of my head, stuck out nice. of my head that I wanted. Yeah. Anyway, Jody, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your stories, your experience. Uh, it's been an amazing time. I, I love telling these stories. So thank you for sharing. Oh, good. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate Anytime. it. Anytime. <laughs> love it. I look forward to when we get to hang out and kick back a brew. So yeah, I'm, I'm here. Awesome. <laughs> <You're not>. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be there someday. One of these days. Awesome. All right. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we are out of here. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Real Rescue Podcast. Please take a minute and like my daughters like to tell me, like and subscribe. Oh, yeah. I'm pulling chocks and taking off. But before I go, if anyone out there has a rescue story that they would be willing to share, I would be humbled and honored to have you as a guest. Or if you have any questions about any of the rescues or anything else that we talk about here on this podcast, send me an email, therealrescue at gmail.com. That's T-H-E-R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q at gmail.com. You can also check us out on our Facebook and Instagram page at The Real Rescue. That's at T-H-E-R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q. I also want to give a special thank you to all of you standing on the watch today. Always remember that when that SAR alarm goes off, those in distress are praying for a miracle. They are going to get you. Until next time, fly safe and swim hard.